Welcome to the Open House Podcast. Conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. Two Christian women, Philippa Lowe and Susan Son, have embarked on a venture that will challenge some assumptions about Christians and sex, Ministry of Sex, .com.au. They want to challenge the thinking of many Christians that we can't talk about sexual problems. Sex, God's good gift, is a taboo subject for some people. But in fact, Philippa and Susan argue that by not talking about it, we're leaving our children open to harm. I think probably whether you're talking kind of mainstream or even within a faith-based sort of kind of community, um, everyone has got sort of their own kind of hang-ups and issues or, you know, what they've been taught growing up as well about what sex is and do you talk about it or not. Um, and I think you kind of, you end up sort of bringing that through into kind of general conversations where, you know, it's that great thing, you know, no one talks about, what is it, politics, sex and something else at dinner tables. Oh, that would be religion. So <laughs> we've got the top three here tonight on Open House. <laughs> <laughs> but Susan, there is a point, isn't there? Uh, someone said recently, you know, one of the first things that happened uh, in the garden after we sort of turned our back on God for a while was that we suddenly became ashamed. Yeah, we did. We became ashamed, and I think we have continued that. I think we do a really good job of um, sending, particularly girls, and I and I don't exclude boys to this, but but um, in my experience, we send girls to the altar filled with shame and guilt because we aren't willing to have these conversations. And so instead of actually opening up and having rich, robust dialogue, we talk about abstaining and we say, you can't do this. And we become the moral police. And what happens then? We go, okay, well, we can do all this other stuff if we get away with it and we sneak around and we hide and we do this. And then let's race down the, the path to the altar. And I think we do have people standing there filled with shame and guilt. Well, I think also we have to think about that context of Genesis and the apple, because before the apple, Adam and Eve desired each other. Mm -hmm. And then if you look at early church history, it's almost like the kind of Augustine is a great example. They kind of feared desire because desire mm. was the, the mechanism that led to kind of, oh, then we could get into lust and sin and, and suddenly that's not what God wants. But in fact, Jesus came to us in fully human form, which means he had flesh and he had desires. And it's almost like we've ignored desire and we've just put it into this box of danger. Danger, danger. If you feel a desire for something, you're going to end up in a bad place, mm -hmm. which actually ne isn't necessarily the truth. It's the Bible says, you know, sex is for the marital bed, is for within, and it was God's good gift for that. Um, and I think what happens, though, is because we've kind of been fearful of desire and we've forgotten all that wonderful kind of Jewish literature, like, you know, Song of Songs is a great example, which is very erotic and beautiful. Um, but it's almost like we wanted to switch that bit off. And then because of that lack of conversation, you have, you know, wonderful young Christian young men and women who do, you know, stay chaste and want to make it to their wedding night, yes. having not had sex. Yes. But, and, you know, it's fantastic. But the trouble is, it's not like a flick, switch is flicked, and they go, woohoo, now I can, you know, be just like the woman in Song of Songs and be really passionate. Because we've divorced desire yes. from almost an aesthetic, you know, like the monks who used to wear all those 
kind of things inside <laughs> their legs and tighten them up and yeah, cause yeah, pain so, every time yeah. they had a desire-based thought. Oh, I see, yes, yes. Mm. But it can go wrong. You have to acknowledge that it actually is a cause of a great deal of unhappiness, pain, um, and uh, and our desires, because of our human nature, can so easily be mis- misdirected. Yeah, and it's really interesting. I was reading the um, Jewish philosopher Martin Buber recently, and he describes God as the eternal thou, But he looks at the worldview and he says, we have these two worldviews of I and it and I and thou. And often in the world, we fall into I and it relationships. So objectives, Mm. we have a media that objectifies sex, we have a media that objectifies women. And I think it gets very, very easy to go I and it, and you almost disassociate the emotional love your neighbour response. Mm-hmm. Well, if you go from I vow, it makes it a much more sex positive, human positive, love your neighbor positive approach. Yes, I've often thought there's wisdom, isn't there, Susan, in understanding the different Greek words for love. So we so often in our society now, the only type of love that we see depicted ever is erotic love. And every movie, television, series, whatever it is, the moment there's uh, a relationship forms between a man and a woman, you know within seconds on screen they're going to be in bed, like as if that's the only way of ever having a friendship with anybody. Yeah, and I think that's where, you know, I'm big about conversation. I'm big about having the table open and everybody welcome and everybody heard. And as a parent, um, you know, I've got adult children and I've got teenagers, I see now that we are formulating ideas about love, as you've just said, from movies, from pop culture, from, you know, Pornhub being a huge um, driver of this. And so we're formulating our ideas of what this is based on what we're seeing and what we're stumbling upon online or wherever the case may be. Hmm. And I think we need to open this up and have brave conversations and that means when i talk about brave conversations i mean as parents we need to own some of our own garbage and our own weight that we bring in because we haven't been willing to deal with our stuff we actually have to get there and start dealing with stuff so we can have some healthy conversations with our kids and help them navigate their way through this and much like the word love or sex or any of the words we can throw into this what does that actually mean yeah, and the wording is really important. And what we found having chatted with some of you know, the sex therapists and the counsellors is we're actually going to be creating not quite a glossary, but almost like an article that says, okay, because lots of people bring their own understanding of what a word might mean so to the table. So it's like well, I might talk about love from that agape perspective, and, but another experience of love might only ever have been sexual. Yes. So it's like, well, we actually need, it's kind of like an education process, because we can't assume our readers know what we know and vice versa. So it's very much conversational. Well, that would be helpful. We're kind of hiving off into a slightly different area, but just as a a bypass, I think it's really important that we teach boys and girls in schools uh, appropriate ways to have uh, really close friendship relationships across the gender divide uh, because that's a great way to live but that it doesn't always 
have a sexual connotation to it. But our guests on Open House okay. are Philippa Lowe and Susan Son. Uh, they're friends of mine, and you've met them on this program before separately, but together they've started this new thing called, is a website called The Ministry of Sex. Now, where did the idea of the website come from? I have been a Christian for almost five years, uh, and before that I'd actually set up a similar website um, with a girlfriend called What Women Really Want, which again was in response to seeing what was out there in terms of kind of kind of what was selling sex and going you know what I actually don't think women respond to that and again it was that whole place of what questions were women wanting answered so I set it up with a girlfriend and then when I became a Christian um, and it had actually kind of kind of we both got separate businesses and it kind of fallen on a bit of a back burner I kind of thought to myself "Mm, I've got no clue as to how Christians think about this like is this appropriate yeah i must say it's really interesting and uh, having known you over that uh, most of that period because as an adult and a, and a really uh, mature thinking um, inquisitive journalist you know the best kinds of people um <laughs> you're really you're going oh you're looking at everything from first principles well hang on a minute this is what i used to think as a non-christian i live most of my adult life like that but now i've got to rethink that from a christian perspective how does that work yeah and i so I, and i enjoy unpacking that and it's like does it make sense and I enjoy challenging what I think actually isn't scriptural but it's just kind of been passed down and it's become folklore Mm. and I go hmm really so I asked my pastor mate and he said awesome I recommend them in all my pre-marriage courses (laughs) which I went oh that surprised me because again those stereotypes what did he recommend in his pre-marriage courses sex toys in all his pre-marriage courses yeah I see well that was a surprise well, it was a surprise. I think I might have spluttered soup when he told me. And, and, and I said, oh, well, again, I wasn't expecting that. And he said, look, you know, for me, if, you know, there are, I want a marriage to last until eternity. And why would I not then encourage people to go, okay, well, you're going to have, you might have times and issues where, you know, it, you know, you might need some support and some help. So therefore, you know, sex toys are, can be an option. Um, so it kind of sat in the back of my brain as all well, that's sort of interesting. And I hadn't really thought, much more about it and then a couple of years later when I was actually having a similar conversation well not a similar a conversation with the same pastor about um, a bit of an issue that was going on within my marriage and he looked at me and he said Phil I can't talk to you about this because I'm a bloke yes and I looked at him and I said I realize that and so is my husband so I figured that you would might have a pretty good insight into <laughs> being a bloke and he was literally one of those sort of you know, rocking in his chair la 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 covering his ears moments I went oh this is and I do get the whole kind of like gender modesty bit, but I thought, well, if it's become a thing where we actually can't have cross-gender conversations about something that takes place cross-gender, <laughs> I thought, wonder how many other people are sort of kind of feeling and thinking this. So, I mean, you've got to see that also in the context of everything that's happened within the church, sexual yes. abuse and so on. So there's a protective mm. thing there as well, which just to me... It is ironic, isn't it, that this is the corruption of the human spirit by things going wrong with something that's not meant to be wrong. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so I called yeah. Susan, having met her through other work-related stuff, and I said, look, and she just struck me as the woman who would get what I was talking about <laughs> because she's open to having you know robust conversations. <laughs> you know, it was actually interesting in the timing, as always, with things like as, as crazy as this is, is perfect because at the time um, 
I have my own brand called Get Real Live, where we host live events and we have, again, very real conversations, always have. Mm. And we were hosting some pop-up events and had started to ask our audience, what do you what do you want to talk about? What do you want us to talk about? And sex was one of the biggest topics that kept coming back to us. So I was moving into this space already um, by hosting live events and diving into some of the, um, I guess, more delicate issues. And so when Philippa called me, I said, you're not going to believe it, but we are already moving into that space. So let's have this conversation and let's bust it open. And that's pretty much what we've done. And so how did you get to a sense of what the scope of the website was going to be? When you started to go down any path of Googling anything, you typically ended up in a space that wasn't particularly um, helpful. For example, having trouble in your marriage, um, need help, start Googling that, and you oftentimes will end up down a path of, uh, maybe cheating is the option, maybe this is the option. And we went, what if you actually had a space where instead of those being the first options and the things that come into your head, there's a place where people are having really open and honest conversations where everybody's welcome and we're offering solutions by way of counseling, therapy, sexologists, um, conversations like that rather than, well, how do I, we're in, we're in a bad situation and let's just make it worse. Yeah, and from my perspective, I will quite happily say that my marriage improved after my husband and I became Christians. Mm. So it's that whole perspective going, okay, well, the Jesus lens in our marriage helped hugely, like almost redemptively. And so for me, it was like, well, how can this be shown as a redemptive option for many other people who are searching? And as Susan said, you know, think, well, you know, life isn't going too well. I need to spike it up. I, don't, I can't talk to my husband because for whatever reason, we're not having great conversations. So I'll actually have an affair because now that'll actually validate me and make me feel better. It's like, well, hang on. If you're always looking for external validation, nothing is actually ever going to get better. If I can add to that, as again, going back to parenting, um, for me, my int- I, I didn't really have any um, baggage when it came to <laughs> um, sexual experiences or anything until I became a Christian. And then I was told that I had all this stuff thrown on me because of this, that, and the other. And I thought, whoa, the weight of this, now that I have become a Christian, it's kind of crazy. And if this is the weight that we're putting on people, that's huge. And as I saw my own kids um, starting to get into that age and, you know, where, where stuff starts to awaken. And I remember being in church one day and a 40-year-old woman asked my 16-year-old daughter if she was a virgin. Now, what is the appropriateness of that question? Was there any context in which that was even possibly appropriate? Yeah, interestingly, I think the context was um, watching her live her life on social media. I see. And she decided to make some, draw some conclusions. I see. And so decided to ask that question, Mm. which for a 16-year-old girl who's trying to figure life out, that's a pretty inappropriate question for someone in a faith um, space to be asking someone, in my opinion. Susan, is this why you said earlier... Is this why you said earlier that girls we send girls to the altar full of shame? I just want to explore that a little bit more. Yeah, I think what we do, um, I think what we do is we say we have this idea of purity, 
and we talk about purity. And for whatever reason, we have attached purity. Purity has become this big thing. We've attached it to our sexuality. And we are determining whether people are pure based on their sexuality, where in actual fact, our purity comes from Jesus. That's where it comes from. That and that alone. So I think also from the 40-year-old okay. kind of comment about, yep. um, you know, are you a virgin? A, totally inappropriate. But B, the Bible doesn't make a big thing about virgins. The Bible makes a big thing about the sex act in marriage. Hmm. So it's kind of, and by kind of thinking, often what we have been observing, and even sort of comments from women and younger girls who have been interacting on our surveys, it does seem, not always, not in every church, but it seems to be skewed a little more towards girls and women about virginity and purity um, than (laughs) guys. Yes, um, that's a cultural thing as well, perhaps partly, but I I sort of moved to say that in some church circles that's become so much a focus that they they say, unless you're prepared to marry a girl, this is to boys, don't take her out, which just infuriates me because I see so many young Christian women and a lot of boys are off dating non-Christians, these beautiful Christian women, lonely and not able to find partners because we've... Yeah, go on. On the flip side of that, they, there's also this messaging out there that, and it, it's it's a little strange. But if he is going to touch you while you're dating, and he's going to do stuff like that to you, then be rest assured he's going to cheat on you when you're married. Oh, really? I haven't heard that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Oh, that's one of the gems that comes out. That's one of my favorites. Well, so um, are you guys saying that um, we shouldn't be teaching kids? to uh, hold sex, to wait until they're married? I don't think we can move away from what God requests of us. No. <laughs> so, no, but I think... Oh, I think to... I want to say, I, give you, I want to give you the chance to clarify that. Yeah, so, I mean, the Bible's very, very clear. So I'm not in this position... I mean, I could quite happily say, I came to Christ later in life, so from one perspective, I could be taking the whole, I've had my cake and I've eaten it, and now here I am as a Christian and all is good. I understand what God means about his gift to keep sex for marriage and grow in a relationship like that. But I also understand that many people either try and don't make it, Mm -hmm. and if we have such an extreme perspective on this sort of like, you know, virginal purity shame conversation, it actually makes it really hard for people to think, actually, no, I'm actually forgiven. It's not like saying, oops, Oops, went into the danger zone, had sex, thought, okay, God will forgive me and I'll do it again tomorrow night. Huge difference. But, you know, if people do try their damnedest and fail, we shouldn't be holding that up as worst thing ever. It's the whole repent, you are forgiven in Jesus, move on. Mm. Um, So, no, I'm not certainly saying go out and be exactly like the world and have all your sexual experiences because i know people kind of get can get terribly damaged by that as well Mm. and susan in 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 an age Mm. where sexuality is all around us and and there is Mm. the expectation that to be a virgin is almost um, some sort of failure on your part what do we tell what do you think we should be telling young christians i think we need to look i think we need to really open the door of conversation because i think there's a lot happening that because we're holding so fast to this line of purity. I think what's happening on the flip side, I think we're really naive to not 
understand what is happening on the other side when it when we put it into a place where it has to be secrecy and shame and we don't talk about it. Um, I think we have to understand that these kids are being raised in a rape culture. I think we have to understand that. If you listen to music, if you listen to, you just have to turn on a few things and you'll know what's going on. Yes, this is a point you've made previously on Open House. Yeah. Yeah, I have. And and I and I think we have to listen to that. We have to we have to be in conversation. And as Philip and I always say, this is a conversation and we want to have it because we want to create healthy spaces where people feel safe to actually ask the question, is this okay? It's that whole thing and you know, we're getting informed by, you know, mainstream media, porn addiction which is rife. And you know, I had a young woman who kind of said to me she Googled porn after hearing it talked about in church, which probably wasn't what the pastor intended. But, and I said to her, and this is when we were doing some market research, I said, would you find a website like this useful? And she said, absolutely. She goes, if I could have a place I could come and have you know, closed private conversations and ask advice. She goes, because some of the stuff I don't want to bring up in church um, because mm. I kind of, I kind of get the top level feedback that I just shouldn't be looking at it, mm. and it's like, yeah, but I actually don't know even know what you're talking about. Mm. Um, and I think the danger is it's that whole thing. If we, the church seems to have taken the position, if we talk about sex, it will encourage people to have sex. But all the <laughs> studies show that people who have open, healthy dialogue about sex delay their sexual activity. It's mm. the ones who aren't educated, who don't get the opportunity to talk, they're the ones who go into sex earlier, often have riskier sex, often have unprotected mm-hmm. sex. So it's like, if, as, you know, Jesus followers, we want the best, the very best in loving our neighbours, in kind of looking around at how we can be healthy, ignoring a really vital conversation about how our youth can engage healthily in a sexual culture and respond to it as opposed to actually no if we don't talk about it it'll all go away well and as you've rightly pointed out then the alternative forms of information are um are corrupted by uh the less than ideal ideas and images which uh, and susan i think you're you're right as you're both right that um this is a culture in which um women are treated appallingly our culture is perpetuating this idea that men can treat women only as objects, that they are only useful for men for the purposes of pleasure in almost any form. And if there's a lack of good information like your website, then that's the information our kids will find. Well, what will we find if we go to your website? I see um, I see an article here, Like a Prayer, Jesus as Sex Therapist. Tell me about that. So that one was one that I actually wrote myself quite a few years ago when I first became a Christian. Mm -hmm. And again, it was one of those things about how do you bolt on Christianity to a 10-year marriage and a 20-year relationship? Because what God desires for us within our marriage was probably fairly different at what we had arrived at under our own steam. Mm. Um, So part of that was the, um, I mean, quite honestly, it was one of those headlines that I thought, well, people will read that. (laughs) (laughs) Always the journalist. Always the journalist. (laughs) Um, And it got some great feedback and I think I mean some feedback was like oh you can't refer to Jesus as that but as, as people started reading it they were like oh my gosh this is awesome because part of it was me actually talking about his and her prayer 
So, you know, as I became a Christian and started praying more, and my husband started praying, we actually started praying together. And I, I just sort of said to my, fast, my pastor, I tell you what, his and her prayer is the best kind of foreplay. And he was just like, what? <laughs> and I said, because... There'll be special places in heaven for people who've pastored you over the years. <laughs> <laughs> and, but what it was was like, what is the biggest frustration that women say? When it comes to their relationships, it's like he doesn't listen, we don't communicate, you know. And and I actually had a pastor refer um, to the use an analogy today about you know when you're having a healthy sex life. He said what he counsels the husbands to be on is he said it's like cracking a safe. He said for guys you know how the sex is going to end. He said for a woman it's very different because there are so many other things that play into her world. So it's not it's like you know being receptive to sex can be as easy, can, can be impacted whether they had a good day or a bad day hmm. whether you know the kids have been playing up whether you know the car broke down whether the boss was a pain it all kind of plays into the female mind while i know which i've kind of read in that article if i kind of just walked out in my dressing gown and ugg boots my husband would be like yep okay <laughs> <laughs> so it's very yeah. it's kind of like we all have different sex drives and what i'd found that as we were praying together i had an intimate glimpse into my husband's mind and he would be conversing with god as i was there and praying so it was kind of like oh we actually kind of pushed through all those barriers that people when people forget to communicate i guess you'd, yes and i guess you'd have to say of course it makes perfect sense that because god made us for intimacy with him he's there in our most intimate relationship with the partner that he's given us mm-hmm. and yet i don't suppose many people think about that it's almost like adam and eve once again covering themselves in shame is that the part of our life that we don't let god inform mm-hmm. yeah and i think you know sort of i got a lot of comments at the time when people said well you know i you know i've been a christian for 15 years and i don't pray with my husband i was like really mm. you know so i think part of it we we have to look at ourselves as total human beings we're not just in a relationship with god in our heads mm. We're in a relationship with God and Jesus with head, heart. You mean, what is it? Love the Lord your God with your mind, body, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. So it's everything. Susan, you, your website also deals with issues like porn, of course. Um, and we've talked a little bit in this conversation tonight already about the way in which uh, the physicality of sex um, has overtaken us as a, as a cultural idea perhaps or at least that's what's thrown at us all the time and that's not respectful on the uh, firstly and secondly it's not mutual uh, necessarily mm-hmm. the what the images that you'll see are not mutual images of of people enjoying each other in that way so mm-hmm. how does your how does your website attack that look um one of the things that um i've recently written a book and in the process of writing i interviewed just over 200 women around the world and asked them questions about the challenges that they were facing as 21st century women. One of the things that came back to me um, that was actually an overwhelming response was sexual challenges within their relationship. And the ebbs and flows of life, whether it be, as Philippa mentioned earlier, you know, different libidos, that kind of thing. But one of the biggest things was the, the challenge with pornography. And how to deal with that within a relationship. And so that's one of the things that we're really going to be opening up and and discussing and not just discussing it in a, you know, how to kind of situation, but real stories about people who have walked through this in their relationship 
and how they've come out the other end, what it looks like, um, how to talk to teens about porn. So those kind of conversations that are really honest, lived experiences of people, not just good ideas that may or may not work. Yeah, and also the whole thing about the site is we want it to bring positivity and hope. Like we, mm-hmm. want it, we want people to be able to read these articles and go, yep, absolutely, I can take those five tips about That's getting right. my sex life back on trap after we've had kids. Like I, you know, so it's about the, that sort of whole notion of hope and redemption through this, not just mm-hmm. my sex life is never going to be the same again or, oh, my gosh, I've realised my husband's been watching porn, my marriage is over. It's actually, mm-hmm. no, we actually want this to be a community where people can get around you and offer advice and say, no, this doesn't have to be it, because we have a great big God who is redemptive. Yes. Now, the wo- website is a work in progress. You're building it out as we watch, uh, as they say, and amongst other things, you're going to have um, the opportunity for private counselling via the internet. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a module that we've been looking at. There's a model overseas that we've been um, exploring. So, yeah, we've been sort of talking to numerous counsellors and kind of Christian sexologists in Australia. Um, and the model, if it works, is it's one where you can log in and leave questions and you're set up with a specific counsellor mm. um, and they can counsel back to you and it doesn't have to be real time. So you can kind of have these ongoing dialogues and conversations. And I think in this kind of fear, it's often easier to have that reflective time and then be able to log back in later and add another comment to your mm. contact. I'm a big believer of don't try and reinvent the wheel. Don't try and figure it out. Ask people what they want. Mm. And then build it from that perspective. And so we, we will be doing a lot of surveys. We want to hear what people have to say. And the most recent survey we did, one of the things that came back to us was they want that opportunity for private conversations. And so I think as we look at this macro view and we start to have some of these media conversations and may open some doors and some wounds even and trauma for people, we want to be able to offer the opportunity for them to go then into the micro and be able to have a conversation one-on-one with someone. And as Philippa says, these kind of issues very much need time to, I need to go away, I need to think on this, I need to process this, and then I'm going to come back and hit it again and see where we land. Wow. Well, we've just scratched the surface, but um, I'm looking forward to how this project uh, develops over hopefully a very long time. And, you know, initially when I saw that you had done this, I thought, gosh, that's brave. But um, having and knowing you both and having spoken to you um, tonight, I think really at the end you're pushing back the barriers. You're, you're, it looks I've got an image in my mind of you. <laughs> sort of uh, holding a stake in the middle of the internet saying, hang on a minute, we're reclaiming this um, for its proper purpose. And I, I think that's part of the conversation that Susan and I had originally, and I think Susan originally also used the word outliers. Like sometimes it takes people to stick their heads above the par- parapet yeah. and go out first. And often that means you're going to get pot shots. Um, Have you had some of those? No, it was actually interesting because it was been a question before. So I think one of our first questions we got was how much pushback have you had about this? Yeah. And we were like, actually, none. We've actually had, for the, you know, I would say 99.9% of the feedback has been finally just what yeah. we've been looking for. Wow. I mean, even, I think that, it, it, sorry, Susan, even, even the, the, the pastor originally who kind of got me onto this thinking because it was about, you know, you can't talk to me about this. I went back to him. I said, look, I've had this idea. And he went, that'll be awesome. I said, see? <laughs> 
And Susan? I was just going to say the overwhelming response. Look, we, we expect to get some shots, but we, we aren't naive. We think we know they'll come at some point, and that's okay. But I think the overwhelming response we've had so far is, as Philippa says, thank you. Finally, someone is talking about this and opening it up and being brave. And it does take, it does, I think it's brave. It's, it, it does take a lot. And we really counted the cost for this to pop mm. our heads above. We've got our own businesses. We work with a lot of clients globally. Um, this wasn't done in a, this is a good idea. Let's do it. This was really, really thought through. And, you know, people often say, find what makes you angry and do something about it. This, the way, what our kids are being raised in and what, how they are being influenced angers me because they aren't hearing truth and we aren't talking about it. And within our faith communities, we hold our sexuality in such a, in such high regard, but we don't dive into it and we don't help. We have to have a place where we're having conversations that people may not agree with us and that's okay. We don't all have to land in the same place and agree exactly on everything, but we have to have a voice, as Philip said earlier, of hope in this space, whether it be for the 14-year-old girl who is in an abusive relationship already or the 60-year-old man who is, is sexually unsatisfied, whatever the case may be, we want to find a, play, a creative space where we're not afraid of the hard conversations. And again, like I said at the beginning, this is a table where everybody's welcome and everybody's heard. Very profound. Susan Son, Philippa Lowe, thank you so much for being with us tonight on Open House. Thank you, Stephen. We appreciate it. Thanks, Stephen. Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity.com.au.